get that this morning from, from Malachi. And I, we're going to look at the whole book, um, but we're not going to read the entire book. I'm only going to read uh, the first chapter, and then I'll refer to other bits. So keep your Bibles open uh, as we go through our passage this morning. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through uh, verse 14, the end of chapter 1. And this is God's word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and every place incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, Four magical words that we all love to hear. You're doing it wrong. Kids love it when their parents say that to them, don't they? Spouses, I know you adore it when, when your your husband or wife says that to you. If your if your boss brings you in and says you've been doing this wrong, you you like that, don't you? You appreciate the constructive criticism uh, of that. You know, everyone loves it to hear that, don't they? Absolutely not. But we hate it. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the the prophets were were often uh, either ignored or or killed because because they're coming to God's people and basically telling them all the things that they're doing wrong. They're saying you're you're doing it wrong. As we come to, to Malachi this morning, he 
he has some, some very poignant criticisms of, of God's people, of Israel. Malachi comes onto the scene about uh, uh, shortly after the restoration of, of God's people, after they were held captive in Babylon. Uh, the temple has been rebuilt. Uh, the walls of Jerusalem were, were likely finished by this point. The, it's estimated that, that Malachi came onto the scene around 70 years after, after all these works had been completed. Those are recounted in the, the histories of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, if you want to look at those. But the, Isra- the, but, but the Israelites, uh, or, or at this point Judah really, to be completely uh, accurate, were still an oppressed people. They were uh, under the, the rule of, of, of Babylon. They were essential, essentially a, a vassal state of the Babylonian Empire. And so uh, they, they, feel, they, they feel that oppression, uh, and they have their own complaints uh, against the Lord. But the way that, that Malachi is set up is, uh, is really quite interesting. What I want us to see this morning is that it's, it's a bit like a, an Oreo biscuit or Oreo cookie. You know, there's, it's bookended with, with the, the love of God. We hear it both at the beginning at the end, uh, and in the middle, the creamy center is is a rebuke and call to obedience. You're probably not going to twist this one off and lick the middle first, are you? It's a challenging book. Uh, and I think it's a, a particularly relevant prophecy for us this morning as, as the church uh, in our, our world today. Because in it we see the, the importance of, of both faith and obedience uh, being, being played out. In the church today, we, we tend towards one or the other. We tend towards either uh, uh, faith uh, and trusting in the love of God or towards uh, a, a heavy heart obedience to God's word. Churches will, that, that emphasize the love of God will say things like, uh, you know, it's, it, you're okay just the way you are. Don't worry about those, those things that you've done because God loves you and forgives you. The church that emphasizes uh, only obedience to the law uh, those churches become cruel taskmasters. Uh, often the, the leaders of those churches can be, can be quite controlling and, and, and God himself be, becomes uh, a, a cruel, overbearing, ta- controlling taskmaster. But what I hope we see today in, in Malachi is the uh, balance, for lack of a better word, the, the interworking between God's grace and God's law. God's grace and his sovereign love are what are what call us to obedience to his word, that make uh, proper worship uh, and proper obedience uh, uh, the joy of our lives rather than simply the, the burden uh, of our sinful hearts. So there's three, three things for us to see today. First, we'll see the, the sovereign love of God. Secondly, we'll see uh, a triple rebuke and call to obedience. And then last, we'll see the sovereign love of God again. So first let's see the, the sovereign love of God. One of the reasons I, I think Malachi is so brilliant is because you have this discussion. Did you pick up on that? Uh, this discussion between God uh, and his people where God makes a statement and then uh, the, the people tell him he's, he's wrong. And then God justifies that statement. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful little interplay because rather than, rather than just zapping them, which God could easily do, we see the, the patience of God as he, he vindicates his original statement to his people. We see this pattern develop at the very start, don't we? Uh, 
verse verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? God makes this very simple statement of his, his love for the people. And yet the, the people push back, don't they? They don't believe it. They've, they've been through so much as, as God's people. They've, they've been through captivity. They're still under the, the control of their enemies. They look around them and they see uh, nations on their borders thriving uh, and threatening. They've struggled to, to rebuild their lives. It's been costly and difficult uh, to, to return to the land, to, to rebuild God's temple, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem for, for some semblance of security. Their economy is barely ticking over. Many of them have, have experienced death and, and disease. How could God possibly say that he has loved them? I think many of us can, can probably ask that same question, can't we? And perhaps you've wanted to, to ask uh, this same question uh, of God. How, how have you loved me, Lord? And Malachi asked this question for us. It's, a, it's an important question. Because what we, what, what they're, they're, the Israelites are, are, are asking in, in this question of how have you loved me is, is that they're, they're simply saying that, that uh, the, the words themselves are not enough, are they? They're not actually questioning the, the affections of God. They're questioning his faithfulness. If you love us, Lord, why are we, why are we in this situation? They haven't seen uh, the actions that match up to the words, and, and many of you feel that way about God in your own lives, don't you? Maybe you, you feel that uh, the, the brokenness of this world, of uh, uh, disease and death, or, or things that have been done to you, cause you to question, how have you loved me, Lord? And how does God answer that? Well, he actually points to the long history of his sovereign love working out in the lives of his people. He points all the way back to, to Jacob, the second-born son of Isaac, uh, and his brother Esau, who was the firstborn. And in, in that culture, of course, the firstborn was the one who was supposed to inherit everything. He was supposed to receive the, the love of his father, the, the riches of his father, the blessings of his father. And yet what you see in Jacob's life is, is he, he takes all of those things. And you... You see that, God tells us here, the reason for that is because of, of the sovereign choice that, that God made. He, he chose to love Jacob rather than Esau. And that love is working itself out in the life of God's people, even in Malachi's day. It's hundreds of years after Jacob, and, and, and the people are now going, it doesn't, it doesn't feel much like, like you love us. But what God says, though, is, is that his, his love is a, is a big picture love. Jacob himself suffered, suffered many things in his life, often because of his self, own selfishness and, and his disobedience. But what God promises here is that his, his people will, will actually see the destruction of the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. But if they don't feel loved, if they don't see the love of God at work in their lives, that's, that's actually a situation of their own making. And that's what we see in, in our second point this morning, this, this triple rebuke and call to obedience. And this is, this is really the, the, the main bit, the, the, the main uh, thrust of, of Malachi's prophecy. And what we hear in it is God's 
pointing out to Israel exactly how they've rejected his love. They don't feel the love of God because through their sin and disobedience they fail to, to honor his love rightly. They fail to, to be obedient to, to even the most basic things of life. And, and God points out three basics of life, what we can call creation mandates, that his, his people have, have ultimately rejected. These are things that are, are common to, to all of humanity. Uh, three uh, absolutely central things to, to how we were made and who we were created to be. And so we're going to take a, a bit of a deeper dive into these three things this morning. First, there's uh, what we'll call the worship mandate. That God created humanity to, to reflect his glory back to him. To worship him rightly, according to his word. God had given his people, the, the Israelites, uh, very clear and very strict uh, requirements for how they were to uh, approach him in worship. Uh, the first accusation against Israel is actually uh, against the priest. We, we heard it in our, our reading of chapter 1. God accuses them of, of despising his name. And the priests ask him, they, you know, they, they play dumb, don't they? How, how have we despised your name? Sad attitude, isn't it? Of, but we, we're doing everything you told us to do. You know, look at look at all we've done for you. How can you say we've despised your name? Look, look, look at this, this, these things we're doing. But then God gets to the very very clear, specific allegation against them that they've offered unfit sacrifices, animals that were were blind and lame when they were they were called to bring the the very best, the perfect and spotless lamb, and they're called out. They're called out on this in no uncertain terms, aren't they? Verse 8 is, is particularly compelling. Why, why don't you take this, this, these things you want to present to me and present them to your governor? You know, see if, if, if they'll appreciate it. See if they'll show you favor. That's a, that's a pretty biting rebuke, isn't it? Take these things to your, your foreign ruler and see if he'll, if he'll appreciate them. If it's good enough for him, should be good enough for me. You don't, you don't think he'll like that? Then why are you offering them in worship of the living God who has loved you? That's the heart of the question, isn't it? It gets, it gets to the very very heart of the matter. You know, would you bring to God the, the things that you wouldn't take to some, some earthly authority over you? Would you bring to God something that you wouldn't present to, to the most powerful person uh, in, your, in your life or in your world? There's two issues that are, are really at work here. One's the, the issue of complacency, and the other's the issue of, of man-centeredness. On the, uh, when it comes to complacency, we see the priest felt uh, an obligation to, to, to keep the worship uh, uh, of God happening. But they weren't doing that with, with thankful and joyful hearts. It wasn't a thankful and joyful obligation. Worship is an obligation, isn't it? but it should be one that, that flows from a heart that is grateful to God for his goodness to us. Rather, these, these priests felt that they could just sort of go through the motions, that they could do the bare minimum, that the, they could offer whatever, whatever sacrifice they had lying around spare. There was a, 
a radio show I listened to in the States back in the, it was, must have been way back in the 90s, where um, it was around Thanksgiving time, and the, one of the big turkey companies in, in America, during Thanksgiving we always eat turkey, one of the big turkey companies was called Butterball, uh, and they, they had uh, frozen turkeys, and uh, the, the uh, radio personality had one of their representatives on, and the representative was, was saying that uh, they guarantee all their turkeys like forever, as long as you keep it frozen, as long as you keep it in the deep freezer, it should be fine. Uh, and so a guy calls up to the program. This again was probably mid to late 90s. He said, "I I bought a turkey back in 1950. The other day I found it in my freezer. Are you sure it's still edible?" And the guy stopped for a second and said, "Well, yeah, it it, it should be safe to eat, but it's going to lose some of its." Some of it, you know, it's going to dry out a bit. It's, it's going to lose some of its succulence. Yeah, I'd recommend getting a fresher one. Uh, the guy on the phone's response was, yeah, that's what I thought, so I've donated that one to the church, and I'll get a new one. You know, yeah, I, but, but that's, that's the attitude, isn't it? You know, well, I've got something spare lying around. Let's, let's give it to the work of the Lord, and I'll go get the new one. That's what the priests were doing. They were, they were complacent in their worship of the Lord. The second issue, though, is one of, of man-centeredness, this, this heart attitude that says, uh, what's God done for me lately? How have you loved us? Uh, if, you've not, if we don't feel the love, if we don't feel blessed, then uh, I can approach God on, on my own terms. He, he gives up the right to be approached as he's uh, called us to approach him in his word. That's what the priests were doing. I've got this, this blind sheep that's no good to me, so I'll, I'll give it to the Lord. This wasn't worship by, by faith. This wasn't worship that, that the, the God who is sovereign over all things, who's been gracious to us in the past, will be gracious to us in the future. It's, it's rather worship of based on uh, what am I getting out of this? Notice God's view. How does he feel about the worship of, of the Israelites? Verse, verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. There's, there's no joy in worship for God, is there? And there's, because there's no joy in the worship of his people. He says it would be better for them just to, to shut the doors, to, to no longer be... be uh, uh, doing these things in the temple that were really an abomination before God. Now this is a, a rebuke that we should take seriously, shouldn't we? When we come to, to worship, are we worshiping God uh, according to his word? Are we worshiping him in a, in a manner that's, that's, that's glorifying and honoring to him? We can't do this if we come to worship saying, you know, what have I gotten this week? Have I felt blessed? Well, if not, then you know, God's given up the right for me to approach him uh, wholeheartedly and with gratefulness and joy. I think we also have to, to uh, say that as a, as a culture we need to heed this warning, don't we? Many churches in this country are, are closing their doors or have already closed their doors in large part because worship has become so man-centered that we affirm everyone and everything they want to that, that a person wants to believe rather than, than calling those in our, our world and in our country to faith and repentance. We make worship about us. 
when we make it about uh, how we want to, to approach God. Malachi calls us back from that. Because the word God says how it, it's better to shut the doors of the church than to, to carry on as we have. Malachi calls us to, uh, to, to come before the Lord as he's called us to. And to come before the Lord with hearts that are, are reflecting uh, upon the, the love of God for us. The ways that he has loved us in the past. And trusting that he's a God who's, who's gracious to us and, and so good to us and, and so loves us that he'll, he'll be kind and gracious to us in the future. Even in those moments of our lives and moments in our history where we don't feel that. Now the second charge he brings against uh, Israel is that of what we'll call the marriage mandate. Uh, when God uh, created man and woman, he, he called them to, to come together in a marriage bond. The Israelites had, had rejected this uh, and had engaged not only in, in divorce, but in, in remarriage to, to pagans, to people outside of God's, uh, God's covenant people. And God accuses them in, in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2 of this. Look particularly at at verses 10 through 12. I'll, I'll read these for us. Uh, it's on uh, page 801 and 802. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the, the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loved and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tent of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. God had set apart uh, his people, Israel, to be a, a nation of, of generations who would hold fast to him and who would honor him as their, their god. The covenant bond of, of marriage was was meant to reflect this, but it was also meant to, to carry this on. It was especially an uh, important part of, uh, of this, this covenant bond with the Lord. Because marriage was to, to remain within the covenant people. It was to, to perpetuate those future generations who would honor the Lord God alone. Uh, many in, in Israel were, uh, in, in Malachi's time, divorcing uh, their, their Jewish wives. And they were uh, intermarrying with women from, uh, from pagan nations, some of these surrounding nations we alluded to uh, earlier. And the likely reason for this was, was probably convenience. It probably was creating uh, 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 practical unions with, with powerful families from these, these other groups and other nations that would be beneficial to, to the man. They weren't honoring God. They weren't honoring the, the marriage covenant that they had made with, the, with their wives. So they betrayed their wives and, and they betrayed their God. I think sadly many of, of you have felt the impact of divorce in your lives. Many of you would, would understand how, how the women who were divorced uh, would feel. And what, I, what I want us to hear from this this morning is, is that, that there, there were real victims in, in these divorces I want you to, if you're the victim of, of a divorce, to know that, that God doesn't condemn you here. If you're the, the victim, he doesn't condemn you. 
uh, and he calls those who are, are guilty, uh, who, who are the, the main actors in the divorce, to repentance. Look at verses two, verse, chapter 2, verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the, the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Notice the, the two descriptions of the, the men who were divorcing their wives. He, he basically says they're, they're loveless. That's another way of saying they, they hate, he, that, that they hate their wives. And so he divorces her. He, he sends her away. God says the, that the person who's done those two things has covered himself in violence. If you're among us and you're, you're married, this should, this should be a warning to us that we should take our wedding vows seriously. Our wedding day wasn't a, a nice party. It wasn't your special day where you got to dress up like a prince or princess. But it was a day where you stood before the Lord God and you pledged yourself to your spouse. And if you're unmarried among us, then, then take special care to notice that God was, was particularly concerned for the fact that, that uh, not only were, were his people divorcing their wives, but that they were they were marrying outside of the covenant family. If, if you're in Christ and you're you're a single person, you're called to to only marry within the covenant family of Christ Jesus, within the Church of Christ. That's something that hasn't changed. But when it when it comes to, to relationships with with non Christians or divorce, uh, many churches want to simply say it's it's all fine. Marry whoever you want. Do live however you like. Malachi under, underlines for us is just uh, how little has changed from, from his day to ours. Look at, at chapter 2, verse 17. He says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Or that describes the modern church, doesn't it? And it describes our modern culture. If you're breaking God's law, that's that's okay. You know, just be you. Find your true self. Do you feel an injustice has been done? Or where's God in, amongst this injustice? He doesn't seem to care. We need to take matters into our own hands. But God says that 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 His justice will come. It will come upon those who uh, have been affirmed in the, the by, in the evil that they've done by uh, people who who haven't who, who also haven't kept his law or followed his commands. His justice will come upon those who who've committed acts of injustice, and it will be swift on both of those. And we we hear that in chapter three, one through four. This is what he says, and this is the first place where we really see Christ. In, in Malachi's prophecy. Listen to how he describes uh, God's justice in 1 through 3. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? 
for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. And this, and and as in former years. That's one of my, my favorite songs from, from Handel's Messiah. Especially if you get a good countertenor singing it, it's, it's incredible. Um, but but what you hear in that is, is this this incredible picture of of, of the the messenger of God. That's that's Christ who uh, who will reign in glory, who who will return with with judgment and justice in His hands. When you when you read those words, when you hear them read, what how do you react to that? How do you how do you feel about that? If you look at it and go, that that sounds terrible. Then, then actually we, we need to question what we believe about God and where our hearts are in relation to him. If you, if you hear that and go, actually that's what we long for. We long for, for righteousness to reign, for, for, for justice against uh, those who have, have done us evil to, to, be, to, be, uh, uh, to, to be meted out. That's what, that's what God promises here. Now the, the last and, and, and uh, the, the last uh, curse that we see, or, or, or the last uh, rebuke, uh, and I'll keep this one very short, is what we'll call the labor mandate. Uh, you know, all of these things are sermons in themselves, so I do apologize. I'm going very quickly through them. But uh, God at creation gave man dominion over the earth to work it. That that work became harder after the fall, didn't it? God God cursed the ground. Now the crops, but, but now we have uh, in, in the life of Israel, uh, it seems to be getting even worse than that. Crops are failing, and they can't work out why. And God says it's because they've neglected their obligation to Him, as uh, represented in in the tithe. Uh, and we see this in chapter three, verses sixteen through eighteen. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read through it all. But God says they've they've neglected to to be grateful to Him and, and to be thankful to Him for the gifts He's given them and the way He's provided for them through uh, through their work. And the giving of of the tithe to God was a, an acknowledgement of that. It was an acknowledgement of all His blessings from that that everything that they they had. Uh, ultimately comes from God and belongs to him. Essentially, God's accusing them of, of thanklessness in their work. You see, they, they were people who thought that, that what they received from their labor is, is not from God, but because they've worked hard for it. You know, it's it's that, that attitude of, uh, I've, I've earned this, and I have every right to, to simply enjoy it as belonging to me. They look at their stuff as theirs to do it as they please. And God says to them, you know what, that's, that's fine, do that. But what happens when, when the heavens dry up? When, when the rain stops falling? Are you going to, to come begging for, for provision from the Lord then? See, God calls them to, to recognize that, that the seasons happen. That, that the work that they, they 
he was made possible by uh, the world that God had created and that God still sustains and God still controls by his providence. And so he calls them to acknowledge that by bringing their tithe into the storehouse. He calls them to, to put him to the test. Did you see that? He says, put me to the test and see if I, if I won't provide for you, if I won't pour down a, a blessing on you until you have no more need. It's, it's a remarkable challenge, isn't it? I don't think we, we, we don't take the tithe as seriously as we probably should anymore. The tithe was, was 10%. In the, in the New Testament church, it's, it's expanded to sort of become uh, holding all things in common uh, with fellow believers. The tithe was, was brought into the, the storehouse, uh, the, the temple stores, and it was used to, to care for and provide for both the priests, those who were serving God as, as his priests, but also to, to care for uh, the needs of the poor. In the New Testament church, again, it, it, it becomes the, the holding all things in common to provide for uh, the, the people of God. But the tithe isn't magic. The tithe isn't magic. But there's something magical about it. Malachi says it's, it's powerful because it, it actually uh, calls us to reflect in our hearts on, on what we believe about about where the things we, we own and possess come from. That we don't, know, we don't ultimately own or possess anything because everything we have is a gift of God for us not to possess but to steward according to his will and desire. God has given us all things. And when we, when we tithe, when we, we uh, give a portion of that back to him, it's, it's acknowledging that but it's also trusting that that out of his abundance, God, who has given us all things, can give us those things again. That we don't have to hold them tightly to ourselves. Now our third and, and final point, and, and very, very brief point this morning, is that we, we come back around, and, and Malachi comes back around to the sovereign love of God again. If we just, if we just stop there, at the end of the rebukes, that's that's pr- a pretty depressing book, isn't it? God, God's loved you. Yeah, we don't really believe it. Uh, he condemns them. The end. But that's not how how Malachi ends, is it? That's the whole beauty of of, of this prophet. It doesn't end with with judgment. Well, it does actually, but but it's a righteous judgment accompanied by a remembering love. What Malachi teaches us. Is, is that the love of God for his people is a, is a remembering love. He remembers uh, his people and he cares for them. Look at, look at chapter 3, uh, verses 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Those are incredible words, aren't they? Like what, what, what is, is, is literally happening here is we're, we're being told that, that God uh, you know, looked to the, the people of God who, who were faithful to him, uh, prayed 
and God uh, took out a book and, and, and wrote down their names. He's got he's got a list, and he 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 promises to to remember them. They'll, they'll be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. See, there, there's a people, there, there's a, a love of God that that is a a love of remembrance, a love where where uh, his people cannot be erased, a love where the, his people will will ultimately see and know the tenderness of, of his love for them. These are tender words, aren't they? God will remember those who fear him and who drew near to him and who kept his commands by faith even amongst a, a, a generation in a world that's, that's full of wickedness where sometimes it's hard to distinguish the righteous from the wicked. God knows the difference and he's setting aside those who are righteous in him he calls them his, and he says he'll, he'll claim them as his own. He goes on to say in, in chapter 4 that there's a day coming when, when the world will see the fullness of his justice, and that those people that, that he remembers will, will be called out of it. It's a day of fierce justice. He says the wicked will be, will be turned to ash in the bright flame of, of God's righteous judgment, and the righteous will, will walk over them as, as stubble. That's graphic stuff, isn't it? That's the kind of stuff we're seeing in, in the island of Rhodes at the moment, if you've seen the horrific wildfires happening there. Just the whole grounds that, that just become black as stubble. And if you were to walk upon it, you would just hear the crunch, crunch of, uh, of the, the scorched earth beneath your feet. But this is God's answer to to, to the wickedness of our world. It's his, his answer to, to uh, people who, who worship him uh, according to their own desires and will in the temple. I dare say it's the God's answer to, to the churches that, that are man-centered, that say you, you're okay just the way you are, just be you. No need to change anything about yourself. But for those who fear the Lord and seek refuge in Him, who seek refuge in, in His Son, Jesus Christ, who seek to be obedient to His calling and His commands with joy because of what He's done for you. Hear what He says in verse, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, But for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? If you've ever gotten out of the city to the, the farm farmland, uh, whether you've seen uh, calves or, or sheep uh, going about in the field, they, they just have that bounce. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a joyful thing to see. It's, 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 it's beautiful. You should go out to the countryside if you haven't seen and look for that. But the beauty of this is, is, is that Malachi says it's Know, there's a lot of bad news in Malachi. And there's a lot of bad news in, in most of the prophets that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. But, but he says it's not all bad news, is it? In fact, there's some very good news. The Lord remembers those who look to him and who trust in him. And there's a great day of the Lord that's coming 
We've seen it once in Christ Jesus. And we'll see it again at his return. When these words will find their, their ultimate fulfillment, fullness and, and, and fulfillment. And the calling of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is actually to make ourselves ready by looking to him by faith.